How Can I Help is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. What would you do if you saw someone experiencing racism? You have to step in. I think we've all got a responsibility to step in when someone is facing racism. Um, I would like to think I would intervene as long as it was safe to do so. I'd like to think that I would say something, but I think I would probably not get involved unless it looked like there was like a high risk situation, like someone was going to be physically hurt. Yeah, to a certain extent, uh, being a bystander and not doing anything about it is almost, you're not exactly complicit, but you know, to the person experiencing it, it's, it's pretty similar. From Pro Bono News, this is How Can I Help? A podcast for people who want to help, but don't know where to start. I'm Wendy Williams, the editor of Pro Bono News. Each week, I'll speak to someone who knows firsthand what it's like to live through different issues. I'll also talk to the experts, the people working on the front lines, about what you and I can do to help. This podcast is not going to solve the world's problems, but it might just give some of us the tools we need to help make the world a better place. A warning before we begin. This episode contains discussions of racism and colonisation that may be triggering. This episode is a little different to the others in the series. The aim of How Can I Help is to empower individuals to feel like they can take action to help the people around them and engage in causes that they care about. In each episode so far, we've looked at quite specific scenarios. And the original idea for this episode was to explore bystander anti-racism and how you can help if you see someone experiencing racism. But racism is so much more than isolated incidents of violence or verbal abuse. In fact, the most common form of racism isn't in the form of obvious abuse. It's casual racism, race-based assumptions and jokes that happen in everyday life. And one in five Australians say they've experienced racial discrimination. That figure jumps to more than three in four for people with non-European ancestry. So with this episode, I wanted to take the lead from people of colour. And after several conversations, it was clear that we couldn't separate isolated incidents out from the broader systemic issue. If you're a person of colour, it affects every part of your life. And it goes back to Australia's colonial past. British colonisation has shaped our laws, schools and many other institutions to the exclusion of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It's what led to racist government policy, such as the White Australia policy and the Stolen Generations. And there continues to be a plethora of modern examples of how institutionalised racism has shaped racist policies that have long-lasting effects. It's systemic, often deliberate, sometimes unconscious. It can manifest in many different ways in different contexts. You can't help if you can't recognise it. So today's episode goes broader and looks at the ways that we can engage with the issue of racism in Australia. That includes calling it out when you see it, but also doing work on yourself. Rather than splitting the conversation into two interviews of someone with lived experience and a practitioner, I sat down with both Neha Maddock, National Director of Democracy in Colour, and Dominic Guerra, a Garan Nanajiri person who works as an Aboriginal health educator and student support officer, and is also a poet, podcaster, and writer. And I asked them both, how racism is manifesting in today's society. Dom, I might start with you. Uh, it manifests in, in everything. 
in everything it manifests. Um, you know, it manifests in physical violence, like you were saying, rape, murder, disparity of wealth, access to healthcare. But then when the systems that we have to access for our lives um, are racist, then therefore when we access them or choose not to access them or we can't access them because of racism, that then has a role on affecting our lives around poverty, chronic illness, um, access to land, destruction of culture. Like the system is constantly undermining us or erasing us or killing us and interrupting. I think that's one of the biggest ways it constantly interrupts our lives and interrupts us from doing the things that we want to do. And I think I understand why violence, racist violence is always put on the news or is at the forefront of conversations because it's horrific to, to see or witness or hear about. But this country has a way of avoiding that. Racism is so much more than two people attacking someone on a bus because of their racial or cultural background. It's much, much deeper than that. And those people who are attacking people on the street or public transport, they are being informed by those deeper roots of racism. No one gets on a bus and just wants to attack someone. They're being informed and believing in a system or benefiting from a system of racism that tells them that they have to do these actions. And until we start acknowledging what's going on behind or informing people on those individual levels and how it's impacting us through systems and through governance and all those things, we're not going to actually address it in the way that we should be. Yeah, I think, like, going off of what you were saying, Dom, um, like, I think one thing that a lot of people don't understand, you know, when they sort of say, um, well, like, that was 200 years ago, get over it. Um, it, it actually wasn't, like, it, that's actually very recent. And also, um, it wasn't just 200 years ago, because now um, research has proven that intergenerational trauma is a biological um, thing that happens. So, um, you know, our, the, the egg that created us um, who are listening to this, uh, we, that egg existed in the bodies of our grandmothers. And so the experience of our grandmothers is in our DNA today. And so for me, my grandma lived through uh, the British Raj and partition and um, on both sides of, of the family. And all of the, like, violence and chaos that came with independence. Um, there is absolutely no way that that hasn't affected me biologically and had impact on my mental health. And so, um, you know, it's, it's in some ways it's been great because I can kind of, not great, but I can kind of at least go, well, if I'm experiencing anxiety or something like that and it seems really random and I don't know why I have this and I've always had this, I can kind of go, well, I, who wouldn't be anxious if they were in um a country just becoming independent. Um, so so there's there's that, uh, but that also plays out in so many social ways, right? So 
um, when you don't have healthy coping mechanisms like a therapist to go to um, and when you have so much chaos around you, like people can turn to drinking or um, violence or other unhealthy behaviours. And then that has social impacts because that might mean that someone um, may not be able to do as well in school or may not be able to attend school. And then um, you have poverty and um, alcoholism or like all sorts of drug taking, like uh, coping behaviours that people have um, because they're trying to cope with trauma uh, and they don't have the tools and facilities around them to cope with them in a in a way that helps them improve their lives. Uh, and then you have those social impacts of education, health, um, and all sorts of things impacting people in a negative way. And then you go, that was just 200 years ago, 100 years ago or whatever, why are you still feeling like this? Well, actually, um, you know, our grandparents or great-grandparents had this experience and um, when you think of it, that the way that that trickles down, of course, we're still experiencing this in a really real way and the systems are set up um, in a way to facilitate that. I'd like to jump in now then and kind of, I guess, look at the more positive potentially side of things. Um, this podcast is all about how people can help. So individuals wanting to take action, we're wanting to empower them. But Dom, I'd love to pick up on what you were just saying, that you're not hopeful that people do want to help. I mean, and that is a fundamental question to what extent who are people who are part of this system and benefiting the system wanting to truly change the system, I think is definitely a question. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And then maybe we can move into the conversation that for those people who do really want to help, any advice you have on how they can get involved in this issue? I think it's for me, it's that I'm just not ever going to rely on white people to achieve what I want in my life. And that is, you know, for Aboriginal people to to have our sovereignty reinstated, that's not going to come from white people. Um, it has to come from us, but we are constantly being, like I said, interrupted. And there's too much benefit for the colony, for Australia, for white people, too much for them to benefit from our oppression that they will continue to uphold it, they will continue to ignore it and contribute to it. So that's why I'm not hopeful because when pe when we discuss with people the real work that needs to take place, not just intervene when someone's getting their head bashed in on a bus or when police are murdering people in, um, in prisons, or when social workers are hyped up because they get to remove another child. When we discuss what really needs to take place, like in that giving land back, stop accumulating wealth, turn away from capitalism and turn to community, you know, prison abolition, uh, supporting Aboriginal people so we can keep our children, instead of removing them, building up Aboriginal wealth in terms of not money in the bank, but, um, you know, so we don't die 10 to 15 years earlier than people, so we can afford uh, health care, uh, so we can, we can have the time to work on our social and emotional well-being, so we can, uh, you know, eliminate the internal shame that the colony has installed in us 
Um, so we can go to our health services and not feel ashamed to go get a general health checkup because we don't feel like we're being judged. Um, when we say we want those things, we're completely ignored, we're ridiculed, we're, uh, you know, the colony will never, well, I don't think it will <laughs> in my lifetime, unless there is a major revolution of some sort, we'll never be able to grapple with its its really deep impacts on our lives and do the work that's necessary to, um, I don't know, to, to work towards decolonizing, to work towards removing the impacts of racism. Well, moving, removing racism so that we don't have compounding impacts because the impacts are like you're saying they are, are now encoded in our, in our bodies and are passed down. So it just, it will never take those steps in my lifetime. And that's why I don't have hope in the colony. I have hope in my people. I have hope in other people of color because that's where I see the solidarity. So yeah, it's just, that's, that's where I'm coming from on, on that point. And that makes absolute sense to me. I can definitely see that. Naya, I might throw to you. Are you any more hopeful than Dom? Do you agree with what he's been saying? Can can people help? Um, it's it's a hard one. I think um, I think for myself personally, I have to have some sort of hope um, if I'm going to keep going and if I'm going to do this work. Uh, but I think. Kind of like Don was saying as well, that hope comes from a different place. Um, it doesn't necessarily come from the sense that, oh, oh yeah, all the like the colony, the white people are going to suddenly turn around and go, yes, this is all bad um, and we're going to change it. I think it is going to come from um, people most affected, um, understanding their power, realising our power together and how we can um, how we can work collectively uh, and actually shaking that up. I mean, um, I, who knows if we'll ever have a, a revolution here uh, or what that would look like, but I really hope that um, that we can have something. Like for me personally, unless I'm doing my bit and unless I'm doing what I can to contribute to something better for the next generation, um, I don't think we will get there. So, yeah. And I think like the role of white people in that context is um, stepping up standing up and um and taking action when when people are calling for it like it's not just that um you kind of do it at particular touch points during the year because racism uh is happening 24 7 uh so you can't just show up um on invasion day or wear you know orange for that um harmony day which is just absurd and be like, well, I've done my bit for racism. Uh, it, it's a it's a constant act, and so I guess like things to think about at a very individual level to like start shifting that is thinking about who do you follow on social media? Are you following um, voices that are different to yours? Like if you're a white woman, there's a good chance that you're just following a whole bunch of like other white women commentators and uh, celebrities and things like that start shifting that up, start going, okay, well, who's, you know, who's a really prominent um, Aboriginal person or person of colour um, that I can follow? And then you'll start getting, like, um, 
you'll start getting <clears throat> suggestions for others and just start following. And you don't have to engage in the conversation. Just listen. Just see what people are talking about and think about that. Just kind of go, okay, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? I mean, I'm still learning through a pro- that very simple process. And then it's like, again, thinking about books or um, culture that you're consuming. You know, again, am I consuming culture or uh, writing by authors who are white? Um, why am I doing that? How can I change that? There are lists all over the internet um, of re- like reading lists and watch lists that you can very easily find. Um, and then it's it's your own life. Like are all of your friends and family white? Um, yes. I mean, you probably can't help it if your family's white, uh, but are all of your friends white? Um, I would also still caution people, don't just go and try and like find a, um, find a friend uh, for token purposes because that is the last thing we want uh, and that can have really detrimental impacts on our lives because <laughs> we can tell when uh, you're tokenizing us. But like actually seeking out like genuine um, connection and solidarity with people um, which might be as simple as going to events that they're running and saying hi and just like starting to immerse yourself in that world. Um, and then it's having conversations with your friends and family when things come up. There's a lot of conversation that, you know, white people who are well-intentioned, who want to help in the context of racism, who want to be a good ally, their first step often is to ask people of colour what they should do. And I say that with the full irony that this is what I'm doing on this podcast. But obviously talking about racism can take a real toll on you and it's not really your responsibility to educate me. And I was just kind of wanting to get your take on why white people need to be more aware of that and also like to what extent we just need to go out and figure out on our own how to be better. Well, there there are people of colour who are already um, creating stuff for people, for white people to learn, but they have to pay for it because you have to go buy the book. You have to, some of it's for free on YouTube and podcasting. Uh, but there's a wealth of content out there that like, uh, like we've been speaking about it for decades, <laughs> you know, white privilege was talked about from the eighties, but became a buzzword, you know, 10 years ago. And that was written by a white woman, um, Peggy McIntosh. So there are, thinkers and there are educators out there who are writing on this and creating accessible educational and especially self-educational i would say don't even come and speak to me about it unless you've been doing a work on yourself you know like i think white people always start from the external it's like how can i help i want to come in and to this space and help and it's like actually start in the space that you have the most control over, which is yourself. Start within. You know, I had to go through a similar thing around my own misogyny growing up as a man and as a young man. And, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself around racist views that I've held because that's, it's so ingrained. Um, My ableism, um, my transphobia, I've had to own those things and work on myself. And I don't expect the people from those groups to educate me. And if they do, if they have taken the time to do it, then I need to honor that time by buying the book or listening to the podcast 
but also doing the actual real work within myself, not just quote them, not just take their work for granted, but do that work within myself. Because how can I be a good ally? How can I stand up and engage with these communities if I'm still harboring those thoughts? Or I'm still thinking that racism is, you know, well, I don't punch a black person in the face, you know? No, it's about language. It's about um, your positioning and how you interact with people. It's about how you um, how you position yourself in the fight because we don't need white leaders. You know, we need white people to work on themselves, work like Naya was saying, work on their families and the spaces around them, um, that personal level, but then also start working in against the system. So, you know, I think Naya touched on that really personal stuff well, and then I was talking about the system stuff, you know, hopefully well. <laughs> um, and, you know, you have to, as a white person, be working in both of those spaces. You have to be, but you. I don't think you can get to the system stuff until you've done the personal stuff. Like it's a, it's a, it's like lily lily pads. It's a little step, uh, step by step. But yeah, I, I rec- would recommend um, decolonizing solidarity by Claire Land. It's a book written by a white activist, and it's it's aimed at act, like other white activists who want to work in solidarity on Aboriginal issues, but I think it can be applied to white people working in health or working in NGOs. But I would start with the people of colour, their voices first, and then move forward. But also learning the history. And then once you've learnt the history, you need to learn the contemporary and understand that they, they inform each other and then that's going to inform our future and how we can interrupt that and make a better future, which I know sounds hopeful, but (laughs) there's a lot of work to be done is what I'm saying. And you just have to go out and do it. Yeah. I think um, like this always comes back to power. And so um, I think like the context of you asking us this question um, I think is important. You're not just turning to me at the pub at 10 PM and being like, Oh, I thought about racism. So what's that like? Uh, at which point I will probably throw my drink at you or just walk away um, and be like, oh, God, I can't deal with this. <laughs> I actually, um, uh, I have a bit of a, a signal uh, that some of my friends are aware of that I would do um, and they know that um, I'm going to get up and leave and they have to slot in and, like, deal with that person. Uh, yeah, I think it's about power. And so in a lot of ways, like, it feels really hard because it's hard to give up your power and it's hard to acknowledge that. Um, you benefited so much from that boat arrival um, and the many boats that came from it Um, and this idea that uh, you are benefiting from years and years of wealth creation um, and opportunities that simply did not exist for other people. So jobs that only white people were able to get or the fact that only white people could come here uh, under white Australia policy or what the white Australia policy meant for Aboriginal people um, and the, like, the 1967 referendum. Like all of these things are about power. And so um, like, and that trickles down in little ways into your own lives where um, you will uh, be given access to a job interview because your name is uh, Jane Smith, but I might not, I might be passed over because they might assume that I'm an immigrant who can't speak English very well and um, 
you know, you don't want to, you don't want to hire me. Uh, and that's like a documented thing that happens uh, to a lot of people of migrant backgrounds. Um, and then uh, there's the simple fact of people sort of saying, well, why aren't there, like, our organisations are so white, how do we find people, how do we, like, change things up? But the only way you're going to change things up is if you're willing to step aside and give up your job and hand that over to someone else who is actually able to, like, radically shift what that work is. Uh, and unless you're willing to do that and to find pathways to do that, um, you're going to be keep, you're going to keep asking yourself that question. So whenever people, particularly people who are like CEOs or who are um, in management positions or like you know places where they have institutional power, ask me, what can I do? I'm like, well, you have to create a pipeline of people who do not look like you and who do not sound like you. You have to find them, mentor them, invest in them. It's going to take you years. Um, and then you're going to step them up so that there is a pool of great people ready to go and apply for your job when you step aside. Because if you step aside today, you're, you're just going to be replaced with the same person. Um, and that needs to happen, like, you know, across the board. That needs to happen in parliament. That needs to happen um, in corporations, not-for-profits. Like, it needs to happen in so many places. But... Um, like that is one very tangible thing that white people can do at work, um, at places that they volunteer to like genuinely start to shift power. I just want to say to people, like the only thing we're really fundamentally what we're asking for is that you just give up your power over us. That So then that way we have power over ourselves. That's all we're asking you know, and, and the reality is, is once we do that, white people really are not going to be that affected by losing that power because they're still going to have wealth. They're still going to have access to education, but it's just not off the backs of our our labor and our oppression. Um, yeah, and I, and and also, like, don't be afraid to talk about racism in the workplace. Like, I have really, um, in the last kind of 11 years, I went and worked at a white NGO here. And the first few years I was quite, like, timid. But then I just really got, like, had enough. I had a gut full of stuff. And since then I've become known as Frank Guerrero <laughs> because I'm just being frank about racism and I'm sick of stepping around and tiptoeing just it's okay to talk about it in the workplace and call it out. Um, and especially if you're a white person, you need to be doing that because the, the impacts on you is going to be minimal compared to a person of colour. As Dom and Naya said, confronting racism is not something you do once a year. It's a constant act. You can start by educating yourself. Question your own assumptions. Learn the history of the country in which you live. Look at your social media accounts and see who you follow. Are you following different voices to your own? If you're white, are you consuming books or culture by authors of colour? Listen to the conversations and pay attention to what's being said. Share the mic. And remember, there are plenty of resources out there to help you be a better ally, some of which I've listed in the show notes. But it's up to you to seek them out. For more information about the work of Democracy in Colour, visit democracyincolour.org. How Can I Help is written and produced by me, Wendy Williams, 
with sound editing from Stefan Johnson and additional support from Maggie Coggan, Luke Michael, and Nikki Stefano. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe and share it with your friends. If this has inspired you, if you have a story about a time when you've helped someone or failed to, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us by emailing news at probonoaustralia.com.au. And remember, you can visit probonoaustralia.com.au for all the latest news across the social economy.